This sermon was delivered at Grand Avenue Baptist Church, a gospel-centered church in Ames, Iowa. Hear more sermons and learn more about Grand Avenue at gabcames.org. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Today's scripture reading is found in Isaiah 64, verses 1 through 12. It can be found on page 10 of your service guide. If only you would tear the heavens open and come down so the mountains would quake at your presence. Just as fire kindles brushwood and fire boils water to make your name known to your enemies so that the nations would tremble at your presence. When you did awesome works that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains quaked at your presence. From ancient times, no one has heard, no one has listened to, no eye has seen any God except you who acts on behalf of the one who waits for him. You welcome the one who joyfully does what is right. They remember you in your ways, but we have sinned and you are angry. How can we be saved if we remain in our sins? All of us have become like something unclean and all our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. All of us wither like a leaf and our iniquities carry us away like the wind. No one calls on your name, striving to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and made us melt because of our iniquity. Yet, Lord, you are our father, we are the clay, and you are the potter. We all are the work of your hands. Lord, do not be terribly angry or remember our iniquity forever. Please look, all of us are your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful temple, where our ancestors praised you, has been burned down, and all that was dear to us lies in ruins. Lord, after all this, will you restrain yourself? Will you keep silent and afflict us severely? This is the word of the Lord. Well, I say this from time to time as we uh, worship, just being able to hear you sing like you do, such blessing. Um, You know, it, it just really does my heart good. I hope it does yours good, too. Uh, Just one announcement before we get started. I I know um, in the course of a worship service, you have to exit and um, go out to the foyer, take the kids out there or whatever, and and, uh, go to the restroom or all that. I mean, that's all just part of the normal course course of life, right? So uh, if if you have to go out there uh, and you're in the foyer, uh, don't linger there too long. Either come back into the worship service if you need to have a conversation or, or take care of your kids. Just ease back into room 102 because sometimes it gets so full back there with kids and stuff. People in the back of the sanctuary, not me because I wear hearing aids, I couldn't hear it thunder. Uh, but people in the back of the sanctuary can sometimes hear the things that are going on out in the sanctu- in the foyer and uh, it's a little distracting for them. So we you tracking with me on that? So just help us out with that. And so <clears throat> that's okay. If you have to do that, that's fine. Just uh, be um, sensitive to those who are sitting in the back uh, that can hear good. I mean, I, that would just be great if I could hear that. So <laughs> let's go to the Lord in prayer. <laughs> you too, Dave. <laughs> okay. 
Father, we just ask this morning that you grant us your grace as we look at this text, Isaiah 63 and 64, and uh, open your word to our hearts. We ask, Lord, uh, what Isaiah asked, Lord, that you would rend the heavens and come down and uh, make this earthquake again with your salvation and draw your people to yourself, Lord, and save them. Make your presence known and bring justice uh, on this earth. And uh, we, we just ask that you would do that because you do everything good. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, on January 2nd, during a Monday night football game, uh, maybe you saw this, DeMar Hamlin of the Buffalo Bills made a tackle, and after the tackle, he collapsed on the field. Uh, he had a cardiac arrest. I don't know if you saw that. But uh, I was, Stacy and I were watching the game. It was pretty amazing to, to see him just go out, and, and then, man, they began to work on him. And what was interesting is during that time, the players began to kind of gather around uh, the, the edge of where the, the paramedics were working on DeMar, and they began to pray. And they, even the announcers said, well, you know, we need to pray for him. We need to pray for him. And that was, that was the talk, pray for DeMar, pray for DeMar. And um, the next day on ESPN, uh, uh, um, they were talking and about the, the accident. Well, I mean, what happened, his uh, collapse, and, and uh, we need to pray for DeMar, pray for DeMar. And then Dan Orlas Orlovsky, if I pronounced his name correctly, uh, you know, they had said it over and over, and, and Dan Orlovsky says, you know what, let's just pray right now. And so he stopped in the middle of the broadcast, and they all bowed their head, the other analysts with him, and prayed for DeMar. I mean, um, as unusual event that is, I mean, the media often talks about praying, but they do very little of it, <laughs> especially unscripted on live TV. Um, I was shocked. Did anybody see that? Okay, a few of you. Yeah, it was it was pretty amazing. Um, here's a question: What what moves you to pray passionately? What moves you to pray passionately? And I don't mean praying as you're going through your day, and that's a good thing, and all of us should do that. But I mean, take time, get on your knees, pray, or get still, sit at a desk and pray, or sit at the table with a loved one or someone else and pray. Spend time in intense or passionate, intentional, directed prayer. I mean, um, what moves you to do that? I hope it's just a habit of prayer, but sometimes many of us don't pray like that until something really painful or a hard experience in our lives moves us to pray like that. A suffering, trials, tribulations awakens us to prayer, reminds us to pray. And in Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 6, Isaiah and the watchman... Uh, that we talked about in Isaiah 62. We're going to come back to that here in just a minute. They had a vision of the coming punishment of those who refused to trust the Messiah that God had sent. And it moved them to intense, passionate prayer on behalf of God's people and on behalf of these people. And so last Sunday, we looked at Isaiah 62 and in verse 6, God appointed watchmen to pray. And let me just remind you of what verse 6 says. It says, Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen on your walls. They will never be silent day or night. There's no rest for you who remind the Lord. In other words, they're supposed to continue praying. Uh, we, uh, Paul says it, you know, pray without ceasing. 
and to, for the Lord to take care of His people, for the Lord to save sinners. And so now in Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 6, they get this vision uh, of the, the day of vengeance that is talked about in Isaiah 61, verse 2, right? That's what this is. And we talked about that day of vengeance and, and, uh, in Isaiah 61, and now they see it. <laughs> now they see it. And, and here's the thing. They see the vision of God's judgment of the end time, and man, it rocks their world. They, they are shook up about this because it is going to be a hard time. It's going to be a bad time. It's going to be horrendous suffering and judgment as, as God moves to punish sinners who refuse to follow Him. And when the, when the watchmen and Isaiah see this vision, they become what Isaiah has been talking about, a kingdom of priests for God, interceding on behalf of God's people and interceding on behalf of the lost. And so in these two chapters, 63 and 64, we're going to look at the vision that the watchman saw, and then we're going to examine, we're going to examine the watchman's prayer. Examine the watchman's prayer. So, first thing, number one, the shocking vision of the day of God's vengeance. The shocking vision of the day of God's vengeance. Uh, the day of God's vengeance. Get it out there. That's in Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 6. And so, let me set this up by looking at the end of Isaiah 62. So you can see the context is just flowing quite naturally into these chapters as it moves toward the end of the book, which we're just two chapters away. And so last Sunday in Isaiah 62, we soared to the heavenly New Jerusalem, and in it we saw God's people eating and drinking and enjoying God's good gifts, and they were finally home, safe and sound, and they harvested amazing grapes, and they drank new wine provided by the Lord, and their salvation had come. And they were called, at the end of Isaiah 62, if you look back, they were called the Lord's redeemed, cared for, a city not deserted. Which implies that the holy city was filled with all of God's people for all of, of time. And then from this amazing vision of heaven, we go to this very uh, incredible vision of the day of vengeance. So these things go together. Salvation at the end and judgment at the end, right? They're happening together. And if you read Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 6, if, I mean, if you read it this past week, you might be wondering what's going on in this text. I mean, it's, uh, it's a really difficult thing to read. So let me just remind you, what we're looking at is prophetic poetry. That's the literature, prophetic poetry. And, this poem, and in this poem, Yahweh is having a conversation with the Messiah, the Messiah that He has sent. And so let me read it for us, because the Lord is allowing us, uh, through Isaiah the prophet, to eavesdrop, so to speak, on this conversation between God and the Messiah. Who is this coming from Edom in crimson stained garments, garments from Basra, this one who is splendid in his apparel, striding in his formidable might? It is I, proclaiming vindication, powerful to save. Why are your clothes red and your garments like one who treads the winepress? 
I trampled the winepress alone, and no one from the nations was with me. I trampled them in my anger and ground them underfoot in my fury, and their blood splattered my garments, and all their clothes were st- and all my clothes were stained. For I, uh, for I, this is the Messiah, all right, the Savior. For I planned the day of vengeance, and the year of my redemption came. I looked, but there was no one to help, and I was amazed that no one assisted. So my arm accomplished victory for me, and my wrath assisted me. I crushed the nations in my anger. I made them drunk with my wrath and poured out their blood on the ground. So in this passage, we hear God the Father and God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, having this conversation that will occur in the future, at the end of time. And it is the judgment that is coming. And you will notice that God the Father speaks to God the Son, and then God the Son, and then Jesus, as He dispenses this, His judgment, He begins to talk just like He has all the authority. Because He does. He does have all the authority. But we still are able, we get this glimpse in the Old Testament of the interworkings of the Trinity, this part of the Father and the Son, interacting together, talking with one another, carrying out judgment. And, and this, so some people say, well, you don't see the Trinity in the Old Testament. Well, yes, we do. It's all in this passage. It is all in this passage. And so we see part of the relationship of the Trinity happening in these six verses. However, these verses are hard to read, and we tend to recall at the text that depict, text that depict God's judgment, his, his wrath and vengeance against sin and sinners. And we recall from this language because the problem is, is we, we do not have the capacity to fully grasp the holiness of God. And our, our capacity is shallow. It's not deep as it needs to be. One day it will be, but right now we just struggle with understanding, uh, the, 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 having the capacity of emotions to grasp absolute holiness. We struggle to understand God's judgment. And, and this is because, and, and, and His judgment against those who've rejected Him. We struggle with that because we have to understand and we have to come to terms with that people who are judged and punished and, re- and are under that day of wrath, under that vengeance, have rejected the gift of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. They have refused to believe. They have refused to repent. And they may be the nicest people on the face of the earth, but if you fail to humble yourself before the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be and you are under God's judgment right now. And so in Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 6, God is settling all accounts. That's what He's doing. And we must remember that God has a passionate and aggressive concern for justice. He does. And in the end, when He judges sinners, He will be acting in a way that is consistent with His character of who He is. God does not bring His final judgment on sinners, this day of vengeance, and He's like, well, I'm sorry i got to do this. He doesn't, he doesn't approach it that way. God's acting consistent with His character, and He will judge, and He will be glorified in His judgment of sinners. That's who He is. 
And so this text is telling us about the Trinity, it's telling us about his, the character of God. And so look back in verse 1. Let's keep working through the passage. Isaiah sees the conqueror coming. He's coming from Eden, Edom, sorry, Edom, with his garments stained red from Basra. Now these locations are significant. Edom uh, was an enemy of Israel. Basra was its capital. And in Hebrew, Edom is the word for red. And Basra means gatherer of grapes. And so Edom and Basra, you know, that, 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 those names just fit with this prophecy. And they are representative of all people who have rebelled against God and refused to repent of their sins. This is, this is all people of all time, okay? Remember, we're in the final judgment here. And so this text looks forward to when Jesus will come as God's conqueror, and He will come in the end, and at that time, He will usher in this day of vengeance. And He will stride in His might and in His power, and He will vindicate God and His people, and His clothes will be stained with the blood of treading the winepress of the wrath of God. And so if you've been in the study of Revelation, you read a little of that this week in Revelation 14, but let me read it to you out of Revelation 19, 11 through 16. Then I saw heaven open, and there was a white horse, and this rider is called Faithful and True. And with justice he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head, he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were, with, or that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. Sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty." He has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. Friends, Jesus is the conquering king. Of, he's the conqueror of Isaiah 63, 1 through 6. We see him here in Revelation 19, 11 through 16. We saw him in Revelation 14 and in Revelation 6. Listen, this is Christ coming and settling all accounts at the very end. The victory is all his, and he will fully and finally crush the enemies of God under his feet. That's tough imagery, though, isn't it? It's tough. Well, we just don't have a category in our brain to kind of get our minds around that. But God's trying to do that through these words and to awaken us to the realities of what's coming and to be grateful for the salvation that we have been given in Christ and to warn those who have yet to believe that they need to come and trust Christ. They need to humble themselves and call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Listen, before this day comes, there will be many dress rehearsals of the day of vengeance. Have you ever thought about it that way? When pain and suffering comes in your life, there will be days of pain and suffering. And what that is supposed to do is awaken you to faith in Christ to, to, so you will turn to Him, so that you will not be caught uh, uh, unprepared for when Christ returns. It should bring us to faith and repentance, our need for Jesus. 
Listen, the plea is for anyone who has yet to trust Christ to recognize just, just from here. I don't listen. I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know what's going on in your world right now, but we have the word of God and it's telling us that we need to trust him. The word of God by itself is enough. He confirms it by the hard circumstances that are in your life. And so to recognize we're, we're enemies with God, we need to trust Him while there's still time. And so Christians, we need to plead with people to come to Christ and place their faith in Him. So bottom line is this. Here we go. On the cross, Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, listen to me, He was crushed under the wrath of God in the place of sinners. That's what He went through. God in the flesh did that for His people, for sinners. And all who come to Him by confessing their sin and placing their faith in Him as their substitute will be forgiven of their sin. Their, their sin is credited to Jesus as He died on the cross for them, and He gives you His righteousness. His death becomes your death. The wrath of God that you have earned is poured out on Him. Your punishment is placed on Him. He was crushed for you so that in the end, you will not be crushed. You don't have to go through Isaiah 63, 1-6. You don't have to go through uh, Revelation 19, 11. You don't have to be crushed under His feet. But Jesus didn't stay dead, did He? No. The most amazing thing is that He was crushed under the wrath of God on the cross. Then He was buried. Three days later, He came back alive. And He defeated death and hell. That's what Christ did. So think about it this way. Say it real succinctly, right? Real, huh, can't even say succinctly. I can say succinctly. But with this accent that I have, <laughs> it's hard for you to understand. <laughs> Let me just put it real short. <laughs> All right? God's offer of salvation is this. Trust the one who was crushed for you or be crushed in the end. That's it. That's it. So if you've never trusted Jesus, let today be the day of the Lord's favor for you by coming and trusting Him. Admit you're a sinner, believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and confess your faith in Him, and you will be saved. Now that's good news. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Second thing, the passionate prayer of the watchman. Now this just takes us all the way through to the end of Isaiah 64 to verse 12. All right? So as we move from... Oof, i got 10 minutes left, Eric. We're not going to make it. Preaching, brother. Uh, so just get ready. Uh, children's Foundations, I'll, I'll send you out early. So, uh, Eric, just hold up your hand when it's time, right? <laughs> so as we move on from this vision of the day of God's vengeance, we find in Isaiah 63, 7 through the end of Isaiah 64, it, Isaiah and the watchman, we see how they respond to this vision of Isaiah 63, 1 through 6. And so this vision was so stunning that they fell to their knees, they, they worshiped God, and they began to do uh, what they said. In, it says in Isaiah 62, 6, they began to intercede, they began to pray and continually remind God, be merciful, be merciful, save, call these people. And so uh, if you remember, I said last Sunday, 
that we are these watchmen. This is who we are. This is our calling. The vision, the vision of God's day of vengeance is for us to see what's coming so that we will become that kingdom of priests and so that we will intercede for the lost and we'll cry out for God to save the nations. And not just the nations, I mean people in our city, people in our state, people in our nation, okay? And so the vision is meant to shock us and burden us that we will, uh, we will do what is described in the rest of this uh, chapter and a half. So let's walk through the watchman's prayer and let it strengthen us and remind us how to intercede for others. First thing, the watchman's praise. The watchman's praise. That's in verses 7 through 14 of Isaiah 63. And so first, Isaiah and the watchmen, they meditate on God and they praise Him for His faithfulness because God has been faithful. Listen to what He says. He says, I will make known the Lord's faithful love and the Lord's praiseworthy acts because of all the Lord has done for us, even many good things He has done for the house of Israel, which He did for them based on His compassion and the abundance of His faithful love. That's what I read earlier when we're taking the Lord's Supper, right? So Isaiah teaches us that when we pray, it's good to begin by remembering the Lord's faithfulness. And he remembers the many good things God has done for his people. He remembers the steadfast love of the Lord. And on this side of the cross, how do we remember those good things that he has done? Well, we did that this morning by taking the Lord's Supper. We're remembering a great thing, the best thing God has done, given us Jesus Christ. That is his faithfulness displayed for us on the cross, buried and risen from the dead. This is a covenant that we celebrate every other Sunday here of God's faithful love. It's an indescribable gift. Then in verses 8 and 9, God says, they are indeed my people, children who will not be disloyal. And he became their savior and all their suffering he suffered. And the angel of his presence saved them. He redeemed them because of his love and compassion. He lifted them up and carried them all, uh, all the days of the past. And so verses 8 and 9, they, these are amazing verses. It's a shadow of the incarnation of Christ. And we see how God became man. And he became our Savior. He stepped out of heaven. He suffered in our place. And, and, and He lived that life that we should have lived. And then He died on the cross for our sins. We, we see a shadow of that in these verses. And the next in verse 10, we see the compassionate forbearance of our God and Savior. I'm sorry, verses 10 and 11, right? So let me read them. But they rebelled and grieved His Holy Spirit. So He became their enemy. And let me pause. You know, God, I really don't have time to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Remember we talked about the Trinity earlier? You know, seeing this interplay, this conversation between God and Jesus and the day of vengeance. Now we see the Spirit brought in here, right? We see, we see that if you read carefully and you're paying attention, you'll see the, the Trinitarian God that we worship even in the, in the Old Testament. So they rebelled against and grieved His Holy Spirit. So He became their enemy and fought against them. He remembered the days of the past, the days of Moses and His people. And so verse 10 says that our rebellion, our rebellion uh, uh, in our rebellion, God fought against right His people. He fought against his people. And then verse 11 reminds us that God did not abandon his people. He doesn't abandon us. He, he may begin to discipline his people. He fights against us when we're drifting away and to bring us back and disciplines us. But he doesn't abandon us. 
He, he wants to bring us back to him. And that's what he's talking about. He remembers the days past when Moses you know, did these great things and delivered God's people. And then in this last meditation on who God is, Isaiah shows us the importance of remembering the mighty acts of God. And so I'm just going to read 11 and 12 here. And so he remembered the days of past, of the past, the days of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put his Holy Spirit among the flock? And the flock is who? That's his people. All right. And in verse 12, he made his glorious strength available to the right hand of Moses, divided the water before them to make them an eternal name for himself. You see, it's good to remember the mighty acts of God in prayer. So this is what's going on. They're praying, right? They're praying and remembering, praying and remembering. As they remember in their prayer, what is happening is the Holy Spirit is strengthening their heart as they praise God and remember the mighty acts of God in prayer. That's what's going on. So it's good to rehearse the lot. Here, here's what I want you to see. Because for us, we're, we're not, we don't live in the Old Testament. And we can rehearse events of the Old Testament, right, in our prayer. Not a bad thing to do, but is that the ultimate thing that we look back at when we're rehearsing the mighty acts of God? So a good thing to do when you're praising God and you're remembering the mighty acts of God is to walk through the life of Christ. Remember the things that He did, the mighty acts that He did, His death on the cross for our sin, His resurrection from the dead. Those are the things that shook the earth, right? The earth shook. Jesus walks out of the tomb. All right? That's what happened. He is alive. And we can have hope. We have not been left alone. God has not abandoned His people. Wow. How do we know? Jesus is alive. He came out of the tomb. That's how. Meditating on God's mighty acts in prayer helps us see through our suffering to the Savior. That's what happens. It helps us see through our suffering to the Savior who loves us and gave His life for us as a fragrant offering. That's what we want to do. That's what we need to be doing. All right. The last part of the watchman's prayer is this. The watchman's lament. The watchman's lament. And this is from 63, Isaiah 63, 15, through the end of the chapter. Through the end of the chapter. And, and this is a classic prayer of lament. And this lament contains grief, petition, confession of sin, and confession of faith in God. So let's work through this lament, and it's actually not going to take us that long to actually finish this up, so just hang with me. And so as we work through lament, let it, let it help us. Uh, see how to come before God when we're tired, when we're broken, and when we're needy. And, and I would encourage you to add lamenting to your prayer life. It's, it's a wonderful way to pray. And I think it's confusing for some of us, and I'll, you will see that when we get to this. But let's, um, let's look at this biblical prayer of lament, and, and we're just going to kind of pick it apart. There's four parts to it. Part number one, you turn to God. Turn to God. Look at the first part of verse 15. It says this, Look down from heaven and see from your lofty home, holy and beautiful. And so when we lament, the first thing we do is we turn to God. We turn to the only one who can help us. When we're in dire straits, when we're in suffering, when we're needy, we ask God to see our situation. We need you, Lord. Look to us. Second thing, and this is where we struggle, <laughs> complaint. There's a complaint in a lament. Complaint. Now, often we just think, 
Well, we can't complain to the Lord. But look, in the complaint portion of the lament, we're just brutally honest about the pain we feel, the injustice perhaps we've experienced. Words like why and how long are often used in this portion of the lament. Listen to verses 15b through 19. Listen to what he says. Where is your zeal and your might, your yearning and your compassion are withheld from me? Now, he's talking to God. Yet you are our father, even though Abraham doesn't know us and Israel doesn't recognize us. You, Lord, are our father. And uh, your name is our redeemer from ancient times. In verse 17, why, Lord, do you make us stray from your ways? You, You harden our hearts so that we do not fear you. Return because of your servants, the tribes of your heritage, your holy people. We, uh, your holy people had a possession for a little while, but our enemies have trampled down your sanctuary. We have become like those you never ruled, like those who did not bear your name. You see, a prayer of lament contains a complaint, and we make that complaint known to God. Now, this is a little dangerous for me to ask you to complain to the Lord, but listen, just try, stay with me here. Did you catch... I mean, because there's a confession of faith sewn into a complaint when you take it to the Lord. That's what's sewn into the fabric of this prayer. Did you catch what Isaiah said in verse 16a? Yet you are our Father. He's not just blasting God for being pitiful. He's saying, you know, I know you're my Father, but hey, this is what's going on. I beg you to see it. I need you. I'm hurting Isaiah may have complained, the watchman may have complained, but he knew his God was loving, caring, and a sovereign Father. See, brothers and sisters, we may experience some very painful circumstances in our lives. We may look at our life and go, man, I've been, I've been dealt a tough hand here. And the fact is, Christians are not immune for pain. You know that. I don't have to tell you that. You know that. And here's what you need to know. You're so, if you belong to Jesus, you're so secure in Christ that you can take that complaint to God and He's not going to abandon you. He's not going to leave you. You belong to Him. You can make your complaint known to Him. Friends, God's shoulders are broad and they have carried our sin to the cross and so we can take our complaints to Him and He will take them. He will take them. So learning to lament, we can take our complaints to the One whom we trust and He is able to carry that for us. And you may have to do it more than once. Third thing about a lament, we make our bold our, our request. We, I'm sorry, make our bold request to God. Make our bold request to God. So I can think of no bolder request than we find in Isaiah 64 1 through 7. Isaiah doesn't hold anything back. Listen to what he says. And Eric read it earlier. If only you would tear the heavens open up and open and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence, just as fire kindles brushwood and fire boils water to make your name known to your enemies so that the nations would tremble at your presence. When you did awesome works that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains quaked at your presence. And so what he's saying is, do that again. Do that again. Shake the earth. Come. And then in verse 4, he says, From ancient times no one has heard, no one has listened to, no eye has seen any God except you who acts on behalf of those who wait for Him or the one who waits for Him. That's a beautiful promise. We can't do anything, can we? And this is at the heart of this lament, this bold request. We wait. We, We make that complaint and we ask God to act and then we wait on God to act. Isaiah called upon God to act. Not a small act, but a mighty act. 
He had seen the day of vengeance. He knew it was going to be terrible, and he wanted God's people to be prepared, and he wanted loss, the lost to be saved. He was standing in the gap. That's the kind of watchman he was. And at the heart of this text is that, verse 4, he is waiting on God to act. Here's what I want you to do. And the fourth and final part of the lament is trust. It's trust. So the bold request flows uh, into a confession of trust in God that we must choose to rely on Him no matter the pain, no matter the circumstances and our trials. And so trusting God in our suffering, listen, that's not a natural disposition we have, is it? We just, you know, wake up in the morning and I'm trusting God. No, uh, we, that's not a natural disposition. We, we have to be renewed. We, we're reminded as the sun shines that God's promises are new every day because we need to be reminded of that. Verses 8 through 12 says, uh, Isaiah says this, Yet, Lord, you are our Father. So this is how he ends the lament, right? He's making this confession, this trust in God. We are clay, you're the potter. We are the work of your hands. Lord, do not be terribly angry or remember our iniquity forever. Please look. All of us are your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem is desolation. See, he's remembering now what has actually happened in the past in Jerusalem. He says, this is what has happened. The city is wiped out. He took the complaint to him. Yeah, I mean, this is a painful situation, but I'm trusting you, Lord. I'm trusting you. Help me. So brothers and sisters, as we are the watchmen who pray without ceasing, sometimes we're lamenting our own pain or for the pain of others. We're grieved for our pain or we're grieved for the pain of others. May we be faithful to intercede for those who need Jesus. May we be that kind of church. May we be watchmen who intercede continually. Let's pray.